Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Following was recorded on Sunday, May 29, 2022. Today's message title Lessons from the Ascension. If you have your Bibles with you, if you don't have a Bible, there's a, a ESVs in the back. Um, you can keep those Bibles if you don't have English versions. Uh, we're going to start in Luke chapter 24, verse 50. And we're going to read into Acts chapter 1, verse 11. If that doesn't make sense to you, I'm viewing these as two books, two separate parts of the same, uh, let's, let's say two volumes of the same book. Uh, so let's, let's uh, yeah, start in Luke chapter 24. Let's pray. Father, uh, we pray that you be with us. Uh, we pray that you guide my tongue, that you open our hearts. Father, we want to be transformed in light of who you are. We don't want to follow in the path of so many who try to change who you are to fit our preconceived notions and what we want to do. We want to see you in all of your fullness and all of your glory. We want to take your word in and we want to have open hearts in ways that ask how we should change in light of who you are and what you've commanded us to do. Father, I pray that you uh, would give us open hearts if we need to be rebuked, that we would know that we are rebuked out of your kindness of your love for us. We need to be walk out of here today with a changed mindset about something. May we, may we be willing to do that because you are kind. Father, may we seek to look at your scripture. May you help me preach your word that we would walk out of here today, not only with more informed minds, rather transformed hearts and equipped hands for the work that you've called each one of us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I love this. I, I, I'm sticking with this. Everybody said amen part. So, all right. Um, this week, if you didn't know, uh, this Thursday was Ascension Day. If you've just moved to Iceland and like, why do we have so many off days? It's amazing. Uh, and most Icelanders are super religious when it comes to the holidays, right? They have no idea what Ascension Day actually is, but there's a holiday on a Thursday and no one is complaining, right? Um, and so this Thursday, we had Ascension Day. This is 40 days removed from Easter when Jesus ascended into heaven. And as I was praying about, okay, what do we talk about this week uh, before we go into the summer plan? And then after the summer, uh, right now, the plan is to jump into Nehemiah. Um, but what do we talk about today? And I thought, well, it is Ascension Day. Let me talk about the Ascension and the lessons that we can draw from the Ascension. And it reminds us, that Jesus did not simply live among us. Uh, he did not simply die on a cross because, you know, for a lot of us, we see in songs, we focus on his death on the cross, but he did more. He rose from the, the grave, never to die again at a later time. And then he ascended in, into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the father, pleading for us, our case, uh, due to his sacrifice, praying for us. And he, promises that he's going to come back. 
This is the hope of the Christian life, that the story doesn't end with simply our death or the death of Jesus. It continues with the resurrection of Jesus, ascension of Jesus, and the coming again. Amen? And so we will not only realize uh, that at our cross, he took care of our guilt and condemnation, but we hear from his own lips uh, when he sits at the right hand of the father that he has paid our debt, that he has died for us. There's no need for us to go and earn our righteousness. We can't. And now it's the joy of the Christian life to go in light of what he's already done, in light of the innocence that we already carry because of his imputed righteousness, and we get to go and live for his glory. And that's awesome. So today I want us to read from Luke's account who wrote two books in the New Testament. Now, who has heard that Paul writes uh, most of the New Testament? Who's heard that fact, right? But that's actually not true with regards to like uh, the amount of words, if you didn't know that. So that's uh, two thirds of the books of the Bible or of the New Testament are written by the apostle Paul. Luke only wrote two, but he wrote a lot in those two books. So, so he actually wrote most of the, the New Testament as we know it. <clears throat> and so we are uh, gonna dwell on Luke chapter 24. Let's start there re- reading verses 50 to 53. And then we're gonna, move on to his second book, the book of Acts chapter one. There, and you can follow along on on your Bibles uh, or on your phones. I'm gonna trust that you're not scrolling through Facebook, Christian. That seems like it's text. Is that from Facebook? No. Uh, (laughs) Let's read this. Uh, Would you stand with me as as we read the word of God? And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Then we move on to Acts chapter one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them for uh, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. The word of God. Let's, let's sit together. <clears throat> and um, so what we're reading here is an origin study st- story, right? This is not, um, this is, I, 
for some reason, when I think of an origin study, story, I think of Spider-Man being bit by the spider, right? But this is not a superhero and how it became a superhero and saved the city. This is the origin story of how the church came to, to be and, by, and, and how, by the power and grace of God, it, it turned the world upside down. And I love how Luke puts it in the beginning of the book of Acts. I highlighted verse one in the first book, O Theophilus. So we don't know actually who Theophilus is. is. It could be a guy who's sponsoring him on this writing assignment to check with the witnesses, or it simply could mean Theo, meaning God, Phyllis, (laughs) Phyllis, Uh, Phileo would be love in Greek. So it could be God lover who, you know, it could be, writing to the church saying, all of you God lovers, the first book I I started on all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And I love that, especially that word began to do and to teach because as we read on, we find that he leaves the scene in just a few verses. And yet the book continues on for 28 chapters and Jesus is seemingly gone. But what Luke wants to highlight is Yeah, in the gospel of Luke, when he walked among us, that was simply the beginning of what he came to teach and to do. And this book, even though he leaves in the beginning of it, this is a continuation of what God is doing in and through his church. When he walked among us, that was simply the start. This is the continual unfolding story of God that starts with Acts chapter one, and it goes into inspired scripture until chapter 28. and. During these 28 chapters, just to remind you, you're reading 30 years of history. So there's a lot of stuff that he's skipping over. This is definitely not my wife writing this account, right? (laughs) Going into all the different details of what's going on. She's not here today, so don't worry. (laughs) But you know how she is, if you know her. We love her, right? Uh, But see, this is Luke jumping over a lot of details in 28 chapters talking about Uh, talking about 30 years of history in the early church. But even though the inspired account of the origins of the church ends in chapter 28, in some sense, the unfolding story of God continues even to this day. We don't have a chapter and a verse for what's happening here, right? But this is still what God is doing. This is still what Jesus is doing. He began to do and to teach when he walked the earth and yet he is still doing, he's still teaching, he's still building his church, amen? And so Jesus may be ascended, but he is still at work, right? Even though we may not see him with our physical eyes, you can see him at work in us and through us and using his church to give himself the glory because he alone deserves all the glory and, and, and still doing and teaching. Um, and I love this because what he's getting at here, that yes, when Jesus came, he walked among us. But what we're about to go into the book of Acts and we've kind of covered most of the book of Acts, I think as a church. And uh, we've, we've, uh, what we see is that yes, he used to walk among us, but now he's even closer. He is now in us, equipping us, teaching us, leading us. And I love this because he seems to even be interested in reaching the skeptics. And I don't know if all of you know my story. I was an extreme skeptic. I was kind of 100% sure that all this Christianity stuff was nothing to it. I thought it was basically a bunch of hypocritical people 
that had a bunch of words to say and really had no actual meaning or power or ability to transform anyone's life. And yet, in God's love, he reaches down to the skeptics. I love it. If this story is about how awesome we were at crawling our way to God, this story wouldn't end well. Now, this is how he approached us in the mud. He came down from glory to approach me in the mud. And I had, with my mouth and with my life, cursed him. And yet he came. And to some extent, that is all of our stories. And you may be thinking, no, 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 I'm the good church kid. Like, well, you, what you were doing then, Elliot, was to try to, <laughs> was to try to, was to try to actually, no, I don't, I don't need Jesus. I, I can, I can, I can do this on my own. Right. And Elliot, <clears throat> he would never say it out loud. No, I'm just, um, but I love this. It comes and in verse three, it says that Jesus came and he dealt with them, dwelt with them for 40 days putting up with their doubts, their questions, their hesitations. It says he presented himself alive to them after his death with many proofs. And then you think, okay, what were the proofs? Well, first of all, he's alive in front of them, talking to them. Here's the proof, guys. Uh, but you can see it elsewhere in scripture. John chapter 20 and verse 27, we, we have him meeting Thomas who doubted in such a way that he said to the disciples who told them that Jesus was alive, I will not believe you until I see and touch his scars with my own hands. There's no way I'm going to believe you. And yet, what does Jesus do? He approaches Thomas there. In his skepticism, with his doubts, with his questions and hesitations, he comes to him. What grace is this? This is the king of glory, right? This is like, how many times have I had this moment with my kids where I'm like, I don't have to explain myself to you, right? And I'm just a parent with a kid. This is the king of glory, creator of the universe. He doesn't have to come to Thomas. He doesn't have to deal with his doubts. And yet he comes. Here's my scars. Here I am. He eats with them. I love it. In Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 43, he appears to the disciples who freak out and think they're seeing a ghost. And he's like, guys, I'm not a ghost. I promise. Eats with them, talks with them, has a Bible study with them, explaining how all of the Old Testament was pointing to him. And I'm like, man, what a Bible study to miss, right? It's like, no one recorded this for YouTube? Like, what's going on? This is Jesus. This is our God who is not scared of your questions. Doesn't matter how educated or smart or nice you are. He's, he's not scared of you. And who is more than able when we lack to pick up our slack and praise God, because otherwise we would have nothing to celebrate. <laughs> Most of what we have to offer is slack that he picks up. And these many proofs were not simply a one-time event. No, this was a, he hung around his people for 40 days. Think about this. Last Thursday was Ascension Day. Can you think about how long Easter was? Like how long ago Easter was? That's a long time period of hanging out with your disciples and with your family and with your friends. 
This is him not just showing up once or twice saying, hey, I'm here, by the way, gone to heaven. No, he's hanging out with him, eating with him, having Bible studies with them. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Paul, the apostle is writing and he's saying at one time he came to 500 people at the same time. And he's writing 25 years later saying, most of them are still alive today. You can go and ask them yourselves. Obviously not gonna work for us, right? Jesus wasn't interested in having followers who have faith in faith itself. This is, what, this is what I thought Christianity was all about. Just have faith in faith. And yet Jesus comes and he says, no, I don't want you to have faith in faith. I want you to have faith in me. I'm the one you place your faith in, not that you are right, rather that I am alive, that I have conquered death, that I am truly who I said I was, the God, the one true living God. He came to say, have faith, a real and living person, a real and living God able to conquer death and not only claim that he did, but rise again and bring the receipts. Right? Look at what I did. This idea that faith is something that you hold onto when logic and reason and facts tell you not to is simply wrong. Like Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the thing that arises when you are assured of your hopes. Faith is the thing that arises when you are convinced of the things that you don't yet see. And again, I love this. He gave them many proofs because he knew that they needed them. They were about to be despised. They were about to be mocked for their faith, rejected. They were about to be considered heretics by the religious community and possibly disowned by their families. They were about to become heretics to the religious establishment who was brutal, who had power and sway and influence. They had just seen their power when they crucified their savior 40 days ago. They knew that if they were to follow in his footsteps, that might very well be them hanging on the cross next. These are not guys thinking, man, this is a great opportunity to start a new religion and get some money. No. These are guys who know the consequences of following in the footsteps of the murdered savior. They would eventually not be considered Jews anymore by the Roman government. And about 30 years after this account in Acts chapter one, there would be a new emperor in town, right? His name was Nero. He was a brutal emperor who decided to, to hunt down and, and kill Christians for being Christians. And this would happen on and off with new emperors coming in and going for 240 years or so. Under Constantine made it illegal to, to kill Christians for being Christians. And the proofs that these witnesses got were concrete proofs that told them that whatever cost would follow, I'm gonna follow Jesus because I trust his words and I have faith because I see him. He didn't just tell me about the resurrection. He showed me the resurrection. He didn't just tell me about the ascension. I saw the ascension. He is worth being rejected by family, the loss of status, the privilege, and even safety. You see, Jesus doesn't offer us necessarily earthly comforts. There may be times where we get to enjoy some earthly comforts, but even then we must remind ourselves, this is not the thing. 
this is not the stuff I live for or live by. Now he promises eternal joy. And after the proofs of Jesus, they remembered what Jesus said about following him. Again, most of this is coming from Luke chapter 24. What does he say? Before making a decision, you need to count the cost. If you're going to build a house, you need to realize first how much money you need to build a house. That's what he says. If you're going to follow me, count the cost. And there he is alive. The God who conquered death saying, will you still follow me? And they realize whatever may come, I'm going to go where he goes. Faced with many proofs that they indeed, that he indeed was conqueror of death. He was the true and living God. They were willing to let go of all just to be wherever he was. And I was reading this just thinking, man, I need to remind myself of this every single day. It's worth being where he is. It may not be the safest. It may not be the most comfortable, but it is the best to be wherever the conqueror of death is. I just want to be there. Their faith arose not from fairy tales or fiction, but from facts. Not from hopeful naivety or naivete or however you say that. How how do you say that? I guess it depends on where you're from, huh? But as Luke tells us of this continual unfolding story and this faith arising from facts, he tells us of how Jesus warned his disciples of the dangers of speculation and distraction in verses six through seven. And I think this is perfect for us because uh, I don't know about you, when when something big happens in the world, um, I have a lot of friends who go on a frenzy trying to figure out, oh, where does Putin fit into end times and all this type of stuff? And he, that what, what's happening here in the text is, is, is the, that Jesus is warning his disciples, hey, don't, don't be distracted about the wrong things. Because you can, you can run really, really fast, right? But you can, if you're running in the wrong direction, it doesn't matter how fast you run, right? Some of our soccer players, like, amen, you know, like, you can score a lot of goals, but if it's the wrong one, like, I don't know a lot about soccer, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. That it's not a good thing, <laughs> Right? Uh, you can you can work hard towards the wrong goal. And he, Jesus is saying, hey, don't be distracted. Keep your eyes on the mission that I have to give you. Because they have this very logical question. They know the Old Testament. They've heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. They know the promises of the Old Testament about the kingdom of God being here on earth. And so they have the logical question, is this when your kingdom takes over and we get to like destroy some Romans and push them out of here. And then and the, the Israelite, the, the, the nation of Israel will have its own autonomy again and so on. And he tells them, don't worry. Don't worry about the timetable of, of coming events. Don't be distracted of, and, and get caught up in speculations of things that are not a priority now. He has a plan for them to focus on. And this is a fair warning to us today as well. We have a portions of the Christian Christians and churches who are so obsessed. There are whole denominations that revolves around end times theology. Did you know it? About when Jesus will come and how he will come. And, and you got Bible loving, Jesus loving Christians who disagree on this issue, who refuse to talk to each other. And I'm like, man, if it's so ambiguous, maybe we should focus on the very clear statements of the Bible, like making disciples, right? And yes, one of us is wrong when it comes to end time stuff. 
and one of us is right. And it's not unimportant. Let's figure out like what is the most biblical stance. Let's hold to that. But also, let's really cling on to the stuff that's very, very clear in the Bible. You know, there, there are people trying to figure out how Putin fits into the picture of end times in the book of Revelation and Daniel and all this type of stuff. Meanwhile, we have people outside of our churches who don't have the gospel, who don't know Jesus. And if the end times come now, it is joyful for us, but not for them. Let's focus on what the Bible tells us to focus on. And it's very clear on. He wants his disciples to be focused on the right thing, which we see in verse eight. You're going to be my witnesses. I love that. What does that tell us? This show isn't about them. They're, they're not, look at me, high and mighty, an apostle. Look at this. No, no, no. They're witnesses of someone greater. That's their job. That's our job. Our job as a church, as a church community, as a part of the Christian community, is not to elevate anyone in here to fame. It is to point to Jesus, to witness of Jesus, and, and to tell us that it wasn't their job to make up a story. I love this. What do you need to be a witness? Well, first, you need to actually witness something. <laughs> so you have to have something to say. It wasn't their job. Jesus, Jesus isn't going, well, make up a great story and go around the world and have story times. No, no, no. Be witnesses of what I am doing, what I've already done. And so for a lot of us, we, we seek to be witnesses and yet we have nothing to tell. <laughs> and neither is it our job to make up stories but it's simply to retell the story of what God has done and continues to do in and through our lives. And, and what do we need to be witnesses today? First, we need to know our Bibles. We need to know what God says. If we're gonna be the messengers of God, we need to first get the message, right? That's, that's how messengers work. Uh, other, they're not getting the message first. They're called authors um, and that's not a messenger. And yet for so many of us, we blame, you know, like I, I've done this. Do you guys know I started preaching at 17 years old? You know, when I came to faith, 21. And it, it scares me to think what I said for four years. It scares me to look myself up on YouTube and see those sermons. Like, I don't want to do that. Man, if we're going to be messengers, we have to have the message first, right? We have to know what God has done and also to know what he's doing right now in my life. And I love this. And perhaps I'm being a, a little biased here because I'm, I'm finding out more and more that I'm bad at most things in life. Like I can babble on, <laughs> I feel like. Uh, but I'm, when it comes to like leadership books, I used to read a lot of leadership books and then I just gave up because I became depressed. I was like, man, I'm not those guys. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not a strategic thinker. I'm not intentional about anything. I'm not organized. I'm, this is, Horrible. I'm going to read about something else. And uh, perhaps I'm a little biased here. So keep that in mind. But I love this because Jesus comes and he doesn't give them a leadership book, right? Praise God. Amen. <laughs> he doesn't give them a leadership seminar. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, he doesn't give them a strategy. He, he 
He has a plan and it hinges on one element. Like this is a bad, like if Jesus was an investment guru, this is not how you do investments. Was to spread your investments over multiple accounts, right? That way if one goes wrong, you have 10 other accounts that might be doing better. Jesus is just a bad strategist, right? He puts all of his eggs into one basket. I have a plan. You're going to go and be my witnesses to the whole world, you 12 plebs or plebeians, right? And it's all going to happen through the Holy Spirit. That's it. <laughs> there's, there's no strategy. There's no how-tos. There's no leadership seminars. It's just the Holy Spirit. And you're going to do this. Keep in mind, these are the same guys who kept on saying the wrong stuff at the wrong time and all this type of stuff in the gospels, right? <clears throat> the unfolding story of God hinges entirely upon the Holy Spirit. And, and when, I, when I started to think about this, it, it relieves me and it grieves me. It relieves me to remind myself and to know the success of the kingdom of God, of planting churches, seeing this church grow, of you guys growing in faith and people coming to faith. It's not upon my shoulders. That is awesome. That's a relief, right? And if you think that, man, reaching this nation is all up to you, let go of that, right? It's the Holy Spirit that does that, right? And he can use you as an instrument of mercy, but man, that's the Holy Spirit's job. And don't be carrying a burden that only God can carry. But it also grieves me because I think we don't do that a whole lot. I think the modern church does not do a whole lot of relying upon the Holy Spirit to still work in and through his church to build up his church. We may say amen, right? And I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. Just as Christian said, <laughs> we've, and I believe Christian is, right? We may say amen, but man, I was like, because I, I was looking at my own life and, you know, we've been doing this for like, what, nine years now? And I'm like, man, there have been times where I know I was just doing my own stuff. I was just thinking like, what, what would I do if this was a company and I wanted to build it up? But the church isn't a company, right? And it, it, just read through the book of Acts and you start to realize these are really bad strategies, right? There's this one guy who comes to faith, Paul or Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes Paul the apostle, right? He's like Pharisee, educated among the Pharisees, strategic thinking. Oh, awesome. Let's use him to reach the Jews. He has good standing in the communities and so on and so forth. No, the Holy Spirit comes. Oh, I'm going to use this guy to reach the people who don't respect his stance at all. He's going to be the guy who goes to the Gentiles. This is not good strategic thinking, but you know what this does? It ends up so that God alone gets the glory. No one can say, oh, Paul or Peter were so awesome leaders and they just transformed the whole world. These plebeians shouldn't have transformed the whole world. It was only by the grace and power of God in them, right? And I'm getting increasingly convinced that the stuff that we do, that the stuff that is wrong with the modern church arises from pride. That we have decided to put the Holy Spirit on the bench and say, we've got this. We've decided to do what Abraham did. Right? God, I know you promised the son through Sarah, but I've I fixed it for you. Just bless Ismail. Look, we already have the plan. The other one is kind of out there. It's 
ridiculous. Kind of fix your plan. Just bless this son. Meanwhile, God is saying, no, no, I'm going to do my thing. And after all, we have great resources, God. We have books on this subject. We have plans that we're going to go after. We got skilled people. We got good music, entrenched traditions and tried and tested strategies and gifted speakers and leaders. God, it's okay. Sit on the bench, take a rest for a little bit. Let us do this. We are the Galatians. What fools we are to take something that started with the spirit and say, we're going to finish this in the flesh. We know better now. But you notice in the book of Acts, nothing there was about a strategy. It was all about God moving in and through his people. The unfolding story we read about in scripture is not something that you could have strategized and executed perfectly. Some of the stuff in there seems to be God simply showing off because it's all about him. And again, what are they, what is their calling? To be witnesses, to point to him. And I know we skip verse two. So let's take a glance there at a verse for a second. Jesus is there in his resurrected body and his glorified body. He has conquered death. And notice something about verse two says, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He is in glory there and still relying on the Holy Spirit to teach his apostles. And I'm just thinking to myself, what idiot I am. What idiot am I? To see this, to see Jesus Christ in his glorified body still relying on the Holy Spirit to teach his apostles. And yet I come along, I'm like, God, what would you do in Iceland without me? Right? What an idiot we are if we think that we've got it figured out and we're going to go a different route than our Lord and Savior, God in flesh, Jesus Christ did. Idiotic, right? How arrogant, how full of ourselves, how stupid do we have to be to think that we're going to do this on our own? Yes, we saw you transform the world, but we have a better plan. We'll take it over. Right. And I'm not mad at you guys. I'm mostly mad at you. <clears throat> so going back to verse eight, the Holy Spirit is coming. What does he do? He allows them to be witnesses to their city, their nation, their neighbor, neighboring nations and to the world. Think about this. They didn't have the internet. No one thought, ah, oh, Christian TV stations. That's what we're going to do. They're just, they've got two feet. <laughs> like we're reaching the world with these 12 guys. Great. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit makes us into witnesses. He's promising the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit is tied to the objective that the Holy Spirit is doing. There are things that we see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit does. I've got a few points. He convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. He leads us. He transforms us. He equips us. He teaches us and reminds us and gives us peace. He empowers us to live the kingdom life and to teach others to do the same. He breathes out scripture, which teaches us, corrects us, trains us, equips us for every good work. Did you know about that promise, by the way? That's a crazy promise. Second Timothy 3, he says that the Bible is inspired by God, theanustas, given out by God to equip us, teach us, and train us so that we're equipped for every good work. That's a major promise, right? He renews our heads. 
transforms our hearts. He equips our hands for the work of the ministry. And notice here, the promise of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by a promise of what the objective of the Holy Spirit is to make witnesses of Jesus. He's not promising to spice up church services, right? That's a, that's, that's, that's a tradition I grew up in. What is the Holy Spirit? Yeah, first of all, that, what is the Holy Spirit is wrong. Who is the Holy Spirit? It should be the question. But that's how I viewed the Holy Spirit. He was a what? He was a power, right? But to think about this, the promises of the Holy Spirit to renew us, to transform us and equip us, that doesn't happen when it's just power, right? Gravity doesn't renew you and equip you. It may teach you if you fall off a building, not to do that again, right? <laughs> but you know, like that, that's not the point. He, he is, he's not there to just spice up church services or show off power. It's all for the purpose of elevating the fame of Jesus' name. Notice that he does amazing things. There's amazing, miraculous things that happen. Blind people see, uh, lame people walk. But what do you see right after that? Peter goes into a sermon for like two chapters pointing about Jesus. You think we did this? No, this is, this is Jesus whom you crucified. It's all about Jesus. And just to stop here for a moment and say, because of our context, if you have people who talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, who talk a lot about miracles and healings and all this thing, and yet never talk about Jesus, beware. That's the whole point. That's the that's the whole point. It's not about the miracles. It's about the miracle maker. It's not about healing physical bodies so that death is delayed. It's about eternal life that we have right now, right? And if we miss that, man, we missed the point. <laughs> Notice, though, these concentric circles in our text, he wants them to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world, earth, world. Is that a bad color for the font? Right? Yeah, okay. Red doesn't work. So I picked this ugly yellow and it doesn't work either. <laughs> uh, okay, good to know for next time. But he gives these concentric circles. How cool is that? For so many of us, I don't know about you, who grew up thinking missionaries are people who go to other countries and continents? Who grew up with that idea? Oh, those weirdos, they're the missionaries, right? That's what I grew up with. And here he's saying, I don't know. Missionaries are, you can start right here. You can start in Jerusalem. You don't always have to be thinking about reaching people a continent away or a country away. You can start by reaching your neighbors. So many of us, we may eventually, you know, for some of us, we may eventually be called to different nations. And so you know, our concentric circles may look like, you know, your city, your country, and then the other country, right? But for most of us, we'll probably end up dying on this island, right? <laughs> In the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And for most of us, our concentric circles may seem like your friends, then your neighbors and coworkers, then your city, then your nation, right? Being a missionary, being witnesses of Jesus isn't for some people out there. Like just, just let that weigh, weigh on you a little. This is, this is for you. Don't be looking around and like, oh, this guy's going to be a great witness. I'm just going to go home after service and cook, right? <laughs> this is all of us. We're supposed to be witnesses of Jesus. This, I believe, is the work of the Holy Spirit, not only to empower those guys to be witnesses of Jesus, but to all of us. To live 
lives that reflect Jesus, to speak words that make much of Jesus, to have hearts and minds that know, love, and adore Jesus, and to serve as the hands and feet of Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers us to know Jesus and to make him known, to love God and to seek to love like him. And think about this. As one, by the way, I don't know how long I've preached for. Right? Has it been a while? Yeah, Christian. Yeah, kind of. Okay, let me let me wrap this up. In John sixteen seven, I find this amazing. Jesus says to his disciples, "It's actually better that I go, because when I go, you're going to get the Holy Spirit." That blows my mind. Like, do you believe that? Because I've had moments where I'm like, Jesus, if you were just here, and you could tell me how to do this church thing, that would be great. And yet, Jesus says in the Word, "No, it's actually better that I leave." because then I won't just be among you and God will be in you. The Holy Spirit will be in you, teaching you, remember, reminding you. But the first step in reaching the world, if you notice in our text in verses four through five, it says the first step is wait, wait. There's a whole world to be reached and you've got two feet and the first plan is to wait. Now, my time in ministry has been a lot of busying myself with random ideas that I came up with on the fly, not waiting to see what God would have me or us do. Because it turns out waiting is not a highly valued in ministry in the modern context. (laughs) You know, like if I send an update email after this month to all of our financial supporters, and I said, well, I prayed a lot this month. Most of them will be like, well, did you do anything other than pray? (laughs) Or I waited a lot this month. (laughs) Yeah, but what else did you do? Well, I waited. Not very highly valued. I feel it. Like I'm I'm making myself go up in this prayer walks up mountains and I'm like, in an hour, I need to like answer some emails or something. (laughs) How sad is that? The first plan of Jesus reaching the world with his disciples is to wait. Pray and wait. And yet we don't value that in the modern church context. Waiting is simple, but it's one of the hardest things you can do. To plead with God in prayer over what to do and when to do it and how to do it. Praying over who you should be praying for today or who you should be calling. That's like, that's very difficult work. It's uncomfortable because it makes you rely on God to do this thing. I feel the urge to want to make a system, you know, rotation. I call everybody in the church on a, you know, every 14 days or something like that. That's, that's a comfortable system. I know what we're going to do in the next few days, but waking up asking God, what do you want us to do today? That's uncomfortable. And that could be, you could join me in that uncomfortability (laughs) at your work. What do you actually want me to do and say? It's much easier to set a schedule, to strategize, to attempt to execute and to stay busy. But when I look over the last nine years of this church, all the things that have worked have been the accidents. Have been the things that we didn't plan for at all. It just, God came in and he did his thing. And I love that. You know why? Because no one can take credit for that. No one but God. We can simply say, God led us this way and did this thing. And that's awesome. But in our waiting, we and the disciples, we realize a few things. Number one, in waiting, we know that it's worth waiting for. Two, we trust the one who has promised it would come. And three, 
It's something that we must simply receive. I love that. Jesus is saying, the mission is to reach the whole world and to do it, you just have to receive it. You can't create this. You can't make it happen. You have to fully rely on God, just, with, just as with salvation, right? If we come before God, like the guys in Matthew chapter seven and say, look what I did. Look, I preached in your name. I did miracles in your name. That was awesome, basically. You know, like what would you have done in Iceland if it wasn't for us? I never knew you. Why? Because they never realized salvation wasn't about that. It was about what Jesus had done, right? And number four, it requires that we trust and know that Jesus knows best. And to end this sermon, as I go into my summer break or paternity leave, let, let me end with the question that the angels ask in verse 11. What are you still doing here? <laughs> Love that. What are you still doing here? The angels see these guys staring into heaven and in awe and they remind them, hey guys, this, this is awesome. What you just saw is awesome. But he didn't call you to stand and, and stare into the heaven. Look around. There, there are, there's a world to reach. There's people to love. There's good news to preach. There's disciples to be made. There's churches to be planted, a God to be enjoyed and a good and godly life to be lived. And this is not us just staring into the clouds all the time. And I love that about Luke 24 and verses 52 to 53. As we celebrate the ascension of Jesus, we are not here to simply stargaze. We're not simply just looking up in awe and worship. That's what we want to do as a church. Most definitely that's part of it. We want to grow upwards in our knowledge and worship of God, but we want to grow inwards into community with each other. That's what he called us to do to live together in the church body. And then we want to grow outwards to reach the nation, reach the people around us. And again, remind yourself, it's not some specialist out there, not like some Navy SEAL Christian who's going to be the, who's going to be the, the witness, right? No, it's us. That's how weird this church is. You are the plan to reach Iceland. <laughs> that God is going to use us to continue his unfolding story. And it may require sacrifice and courage and come at a loss, but we will know that Jesus will come again in the same manner. Right? The same Jesus will come as a real person, not as a concept. I hate how people, like a lot of churches do this in Iceland. They think of Jesus as a concept. You can tweak a concept. You can change a concept, but you can't take a person and make them different. Right? Like Devin, I can't take Devin and say he has uh, black hair, right? Because Devin is Devin, he's a person, he's not a concept. And yet so many of us, we treat Jesus like a concept. We change him into what we like. He's kind of like the salad bar, right? Skip the lettuce, give me some, uh, give me some of the noodles. <laughs> Bad recommendation. Uh, I'm thinking about hot cup salad bar, but <clears throat> anyways. Um, he will come again physically, invisibly, on the Mount of Olives, yet again, he left in the presence of his disciples and he will come again in the presence of his disciples here on earth. He left with a blessing and he's coming again with a blessing to the people who love him and follow him. And so if you're in here and you, you've not experienced the hope, the love of Jesus, that is the best thing that I have to offer you. If you're in financial distress, that's awesome. I hope that we can help you. If, you, if you're going through troubles, that's awesome. Uh, no, sorry, that's not awesome. Uh, that, I hope that we can help you in many ways, 
but the very best thing that I can offer you or anybody on this earth can offer you is the hope found in Jesus alone, right? Because that alone satisfied the hunger of our souls who is created for communion with God and will not be satisfied until that is restored. And if you're in here and you've yet to confess Jesus as your Lord, meaning he is the boss of your life and your savior, meaning he carried the debt, the shame of our sin and nailed it to the cross. If you're not confess those two things, I would love for you to make that step today. That's what all of us in here have done. All of us in here, we look around, we are here because we realize that God is great even when we're not. And in our communion, we remind ourselves of this. If you've made those two confessions, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, celebrate with us of what he's done. His blood flowed for us for our new covenant his body that was broken for us to pay our debt. And if you're not in here and you're not a Christian, again, I would say, don't celebrate this with us. Not only would we take it as a, as a mockery of the cross, uh, but more serious than that, God would take it as a mockery of the cross. And so I would say to you, we're glad that you're here. We hope that one day you will share in communion with us, but pass this time. If you have made this step, Let's celebrate together after this song. And when you're ready, take the elements and let's celebrate together what Christ has done. Father, we thank you that when we needed a savior, Jesus came and you're still at work. When we lacked purpose, Jesus came and you're still at work. When we needed life, Jesus came and you're still at work. We thank you for your forgiveness offered, for the purpose given, for the eternal joy, not based on fleeting circumstances. I pray, Father, as we go into this week, may we remind ourselves of this eternal hope of Jesus. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we ask that you be with us. Would you transform our, our heads to, to think of you, to worship you, to adore you? Would you transform our hearts to love you? And would you guide and equip our hands to serve as your hands and your feet. Father, may we not be the fools that say what you've begun in the spirit, we're gonna finish in the flesh. May we rely fully upon you as a church and as individuals. May you use us as your witnesses. And Father, as we study your word, may we have your word to point to, but may we also be witnesses of what you're doing in our lives. The hope that you've given, the joy that you've given, the purpose you've given, cleansing work of Jesus. Father, we thank you that we get to celebrate here your unfolding story and for the privilege that it is to take part in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email 
His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.